Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. Grateful to have you. Grateful to continue in a conversation with George Batty on what the Bible has to say about the rapture. Now, last week we got into this conversation asking great questions like, do you believe in the rapture? And there are some who might uh, be confused by the question, but I do think that it does a great job of opening up what our preconceived notions are about it. And then it gives us the opportunity to ask, what does the Bible actually say about it? And so we ask you to uh, consider again with us the scriptures as we dive back into this great Bible study conversation. Let's jump back in, shall we? So if I were to summarize this first, uh, I guess, big concept of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, you've talked about how it's going to happen on the last day of history. Uh, it's the noisiest day in history, a resurrection of all people in history. The saved are snatched up. I like that. I like I guess feeling empowered about the word of what we get the rapture from. Snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. And we're taken to a place that Jesus has gone to prepare. Right. That's not this earth. Well, then what exactly are we opposed to? If, if we oppose the rapture, you know, so many, well, we don't believe in the rapture. It's a false doctrine. What exactly are we opposed to? Right. We're opposed to the popular theory about the rapture. That's, okay. that's what we ought to be opposed to. What does that mean? So, well, there, there's two basic views of the rapture. Now, there are some variations of these two, but the, the two basic views are, a, are called first a pre-tribulation rapture, mm -hmm. which I believe is false. Okay. Pre-tribulation rapture. The other is a post-tribulation rapture, which I believe 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is teaching. Right. Okay. Well, you're using a word, tribulation. Uh, it'd probably be helpful if we knew what it was. What does right. tribulation mean? Okay, the Bible speaks about a great tribulation. Uh -huh. uh, one passage where the Bible speaks about this is Matthew chapter 24. Okay. And in the 21st verse of that chapter, Jesus said, For then... There will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So here the Lord used that expression, great tribulation. And there does seem to be some Bible support. I'll have to admit there seems like there may be some support for this idea of a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, a rapture that happens before the tribulation so that Christians don't have to suffer and go through the pain and the torment that's going to occur when the great tribulation happens. Right. One of those passages that look like we're going to be raptured out before the suffering and torment and, and tribulation is Revelation 3, verse 10. Okay. In Revelation 3, verse 10, Jesus is the speaker here. He's speaking to one of his seven churches in Asia, and he said, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. And so 
when, when the Lord says, I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial, admittedly, that does look like that the Lord is saying he will take his people out of the world before the tribulation occurs so they won't have to suffer through this great time of trial. And so this, uh, maybe those who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture are trying to connect these verses in Matthew 24 right. and in Revelation. Christians snatched up out of the world so they don't have to endure it. Um, I notice you have some quote, and people can't see that I'm making quotes with my fingers, but quote prophecy experts, what they have to say about it. What do, what do they say? Well, the popular theory is that just before the end of history, there's going to be this arch enemy of God called the Antichrist who's going to arise, and he's going to begin the most horrible of all persecutions you can ever imagine, the, the most horrible that's ever occurred. And the Lord comes again secretly just before all of this terrible persecution by the Antichrist, and he secretly and silently comes. There's that you know concept of a secret rapture mm-hmm. okay. that goes against First Thessalonians four, where right. that was very noisy. Right. But the popular theory says he comes again secretly, quietly. Nobody even knows it happens, and he snatches his believers out of the world, so they won't have to endure the terrible persecution from the Antichrist. And then the the great tribulation is referring to the last seven years of world history. And after this great tribulation, the Lord returns again. You see, a third time now. He came the first time as a human being to be a sacrifice. He came the second time to secretly rapture his people out of the world. Now he's coming a third time to destroy the Antichrist and set up his kingdom and reign, supposedly, for a thousand years on the earth. Seems a little bit complicated compared to the easy <laughs> teaching of First Thessalonians 4 yes. about the coming of Christ. Yes. And so what, what we're asking is, is all this true? Mm, right. Is there going to be seven-year great tribulation period just before the end of world history and it's First Thessalonians chapter 4 teaching that believers will be snatched up before the tribulation so right. that they won't have to suffer. And, you know, that, that'd make a great movie, wouldn't it? Oh, it would. <laughs> they could make a great book series as well. Yes. <laughs> and that's exactly what has happened. You know, movies and books have been written because this is, ex- this is uh, exciting. And it sells books. It mm-hmm. it's, uh, sells movie tickets. And so, you know, for a few minutes, we want to uh, give an answer to these questions. Maybe we could look at Matthew 24. Um, I'm, I'm interested in what you have to say about that, because that one, if you were to stand it next to 1 Thessalonians 4, I, I have some, uh, maybe some questions about the two of those working together. So maybe we could start there. Okay. Well, Matthew 24 does indeed speak about a great tribulation. It does. But... If you look at the passage carefully, it will reveal that the great tribulation that's being discussed is actually referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred way back in the first century in the year A.D. 70. Uh Aha, okay. Now, you'll notice 
the great tribulation of Matthew 24 is mentioned in verse 21. Uh-huh. Now, that's real important to keep that in your mind, verse 21. If you fast forward now to verse 34. Right. So the great tribulation, verse 21, verse 34 says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Uh-huh. This generation. Now, the important thing about that expression, this generation, that little phrase right there is found only 15 times in the New Testament. It's found only in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And always when it's used, unless Matthew 24, 34 is the only exception, when it's used, it always refers to the generation of people that were alive when Jesus and his apostles were on the earth. So it's not referring to a race of people. Right. That some might say that it's referring to the, the race of the Jewish people. So right. That specific group alive in the first century. And it's not talking about some future generation that's 2,000 years after Jesus and the apostles lived on the earth. It's, oh, okay. It's talking about that generation that was alive back when he was a man on the earth. Well, are there scriptures, maybe we could look at a couple examples. You've said there's 15 times right. in the New Testament, only in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right. Uh, what do you got for us there? So, well, let me give you a couple of, of examples that clearly demonstrate what I'm saying. In Matthew 12, verse 41, the Bible says, The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Mm-hmm. Jesus is talking about himself, the greater than Jonah. He says, I'm here right, right. now. Right. Okay. And he's saying this generation uh, will be judged by Nineveh. He's, he's referring to his own generation of people right. that were alive when he was on the earth. Because Nineveh repented, that generation didn't accept the Messiah. Right. Okay. Another example is Mark chapter 12, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 8, verse 12. And this uses this generation twice. Hmm. Uh, Listen to what it says. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Surely I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Well, he's obviously referring to, to the people who were alive at that time who were asking for him to perform some kind of a sign. Okay. So all 15 times in the New Testament, when you read this generation, it's referring to the generation of people alive the same time that Jesus lived on the earth. And the great tribulation of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21 is, according to Matthew 24, verse 34, going to occur within the lifetime of those people who lived when Jesus was on the earth. Okay. Makes sense. So Matthew 24 then describes, yes, a great tribulation that's coming, but it's coming upon Jerusalem. And it's going to be the greatest tribulation that ever came upon the Jewish people, not a a great tribulation coming upon the whole world at the end of world history. 
And this is going to be the, the worst tribulation the Jewish nation ever would experience. going to be the, the greatest bloodbath and oh the most vicious that the Jewish nation would ever see. And there's nothing here suggesting that any Christians are going to be snatched up out of the world so they won't have to endure that great tribulation when Jerusalem is destroyed. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave a warning sign to watch for. And, and when you see this warning sign, you would know Jerusalem's destruction is almost about to occur. Right. And by heeding those, that warning, the disciples could flee and avoid being trapped inside the city and, and dying with everyone else. And the sign the Lord gave is clearly given in Luke 21, verse 20. Okay. Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Mm. And so what were the Lord's in instructions? Were, what was the Lord saying, now don't worry, because I'm going to secretly come and snatch you out of Jerusalem so you won't have to suffer? No. He said, when you see these armies of Rome coming and surrounding Jerusalem, in Luke 21, verse 21, he said, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That's how they're going to escape the great tribulation. Uh, let those who are in the midst depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. And so Christians are going to avoid the tribulation by watching for the sign that Jesus gave, and when they see the Roman army approaching, they are, they are not snatched off of the earth. They're not snatched away secretly. They are told to flee to the mountains, and that's what they did. That's very compelling evidence in Matthew and Luke about this great tribulation specifically being about that generation in the Judean area. Um, but, you know, maybe somebody's going to want to make a connection to the book of Revelation, right. specifically about this passage you've just read about this um, army kind of surrounding um and so I'm, I'm thinking about in the book of Revelation, uh, there's a, this reference to the, you know, the army surrounding. Is, is that not talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army? Or is it talking about some future event? What's going on there? And is it related here? Well, the book of Revelation also mentions a great tribulation. And the great tribulation mentioned in the book of Revelation, I do not believe is a reference to Jerusalem's destruction that occurred in the first century. Okay, so two separate I think two separate tribulations are being discussed. Okay. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, the Bible says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, uh -huh. tribes, people, and tongues— in other words, it's not just Jerusalem, not, yeah, not just the area. Jews. Okay. All nations, tribes, people, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood about the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, 
Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. So in verse 14 here, Revelation 7, verse 14, here's this great tribulation. Right. It comes upon the face of the whole earth. So it's not just a reference to Jerusalem being destroyed in AD 70. Right. But notice, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. Okay. In, in order to come out of something, you first have to be in it. Right. So these people, they endured the tribulation. They weren't secretly snatched out of the world so they wouldn't have to go through it. They went through it and they came out of it. And so the book of Revelation then, you see, is teaching a great tribulation, but it's a tribulation Christians are going to have to endure. They're they're not going to be given the privilege of escaping by being secretly raptured off of the earth. Now, my simple mind needs to sum it up just so that I can maybe wrap my head around it. In Matthew and Mark and Luke as well, in that great tribulation, they could escape it. They were told to get out of there, to flee. Yes. But in Revelation, uh, we're seeing a different tribulation happening because they come out of it, meaning they've endured it. And then after that tribulation, then they're, they're brought before the Lord in victory. Right. Um, Okay, are there scriptures that back this up? Can it be corroborated anywhere else? Well, I think so. Uh, would you mind reading this passage for me? Sure. Re- read Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Okay, it says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the trib- tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, Jonathan, think about what that passage is saying. John himself is going through the great tribulation with these people in the seven churches of Asia. Right. Okay, he's been banished to the island of Patmos by the Roman government. Christians are being arrested. Their, their property is being confiscated. They're being fined by the government. They're being ostracized in business so that no one will buy from them because they're Christians. No right. one will sell to them because they're Christians. Because they don't worship the gods of Rome. Christians are being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. Right. Christians are being burned at the stake. Uh, they're being beheaded. Mm. And John said, I am your companion in the tribulation. They were actually going through the great tribulation then. It's, and it's, um, it began with the cross of Jesus Christ after the Lord right. died and resurrected in his church. The great tribulation began right. over all of the Christians everywhere in the world. The word general maybe doesn't sound as, uh, as though it's far reaching, but a general pers- uh, persecution, a general tribulation, meaning this is kind of a, it's never going away during the Christian age. Is that appropriate to say about yes. this great tribulation? It yes. is a general church-wide tribulation that's that's to be endured. Right. Now, John said, I'm your companion in the tribulation, chapter Revelation 1, verse 9. Uh-huh. Now read Revelation 2, verse 9. Okay. 
2 verse 9. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, Jesus was speaking to one of the seven churches of Asia. This was the church at Smyrna. Uh-huh. And he's watching from heaven, and he said, I, I see your works. I know your works. I, I know your poverty. But he also said, I know your tribulation. Mm. Mm. So they're going through the tribulation. And Jesus watched as these Christians were being ostracized in the marketplace, and no one would buy merchandise from Christian businessmen, and no one would sell merchandise to Christians. And these Christians at Smyrna were in poverty. Jesus said, I know your poverty. They were persecuted. They were going through the great tribulation, and Jesus was allowing it to happen. He was watching it happen. Right. He was not snatching them out so they wouldn't have to go through this. Why would a good God allow his people to be persecuted? I think to test them, to weed out the insincere, and to keep, to make obvious who is the sincere, devoted, truly converted disciple of Christ. That's at least one reason I think that God allows this to happen. I like the, the parable of the dragnet, where the, the net's coming and then those are thrown out who are not right. worthy versus those who are. Right. Could there be anything that it has to do with the free moral agency of man that, that God is going to allow people to make bad choices, and that might influence people who want to make good choices? Is that applicable to why, we're, why we suffer persecution? We're a product of... Yeah, I think that's a, 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 a reason... Not the only, I don't know that any of these are the only reason that God allows these, but I think together, you know, look at the book of Job and you see God allowing Job to suffer and go through great hardships and he's allowing Job to be tested Mm. and prove his devotion and sincerity. And I think that's why the Lord allows this to happen sometimes. That reminds me of James 1, you know, count it all joy when you suffer trials, brethren. We're right. supposed to have joy in the middle of that trial. Uh, you asked this question. I think it's maybe more rhetorical than sincere, but did Jesus promise them a pre-tribulation rapture so they wouldn't have to endure it? And you know, the obvious answer from Revelation and from history is no. No, no, he did not do that. As a matter of fact, look at chapter Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Read that Well, it's a cliffhanger once again, and I'd like to encourage you to please come back next week and finish out this wonderful conversation from the Bible about the rapture. And Lord willing, next week we're going to continue talking about the pre-tribulation rapture from the book of Revelation and how that that belief or doctrine does not have the biblical support that a post-tribulation rapture does. So please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It's available on a lot of different platforms. And also go to the website and please check out the resources that are there for you to use conveniently and absolutely free to download. Until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you next week.
Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me.